The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by a very special guest, none other than Know the Score alumni himself, Mr. Nabias Wilborn. What's going on, Nabias? Man, I'm chilling, brother. How are you, man? Miss you, man. Miss you, miss the crew, man. You know, hopefully we can do this more often, especially during baseball season, man. So, man, let's get into it, brother. Yeah, I won't hold you up any longer because as you can hear, Nabias is in Root right now, so we want to get to where he's going safely. So we're going to talk some MLB in the bias. You've made a move since the last time we talked to you. You're no longer down in the deep south in Hotlanta. Now you're up there in the land of pierogies and uh, Mel, because Mel always gets shouts out. So shout out to Mel up in Pittsburgh now covering the Pirates. So talk us through that transition and uh, how their spring training looked this year. Man, it's cold, bro. I mean, you know, outside of that, I mean, I will say spending five and a half weeks down in Florida makes the Pittsburgh winters a little better. You know, they do this thing at the ballpark where they show the temperature in Pittsburgh comparison to the temperature in Bradenton where they do the training or if they're in Sarasota or wherever else they do it. It's always a bit warmer in Florida, but, you know, this weekend was in Cincinnati to start the season. Um, Pirates had a tough loss on Thursday um, where Jameson tying on pits are solid. Six innings, not his best, but solid. Then had a rain out on Saturday after an off day on Friday. And then on Sunday, Trevor Williams looked like the guy he was during the second half of the season. Six shutout innings. But he had five strikeouts. Only gave up a couple hits. Really solid outing by him. And, you know, the Pirates are at a one-on-one spot going into the week where they'll take on the St. Louis Cardinals, who are looking to be one of the better teams in baseball. So it's going to be interesting. Yo. What's going on, uh, Dwayne? Dwayne, we're here with Nabias, and we're talking a little bit of baseball. So we're going to try to get Nabias through the baseball segment right quick, help us preview the MLB. Nabias, right. my next question I got for you is with Mike Trout, getting the big contract and the big money between him and Bryce Harper and Manny Machado flying around. There's been this talk of the state of the game and doesn't need a face. So in your estimation right now, if you had to place a face on the game, who is it? Um, I guess to answer the first part of that, I mean, it's, it's Trout. He's the man. I mean, I, I mean, he is the best player in baseball today. Um, you know, he actually had that recent ad, the body armor ad with, Andrew Luck, that's a pretty cool – because both of those guys are kind of considered as boring, and here they are dancing in this ad. It's really cool. So, look, Mike Trout gets it done, man. I mean, I – you hear the phrase five-tool player thrown around a lot. Well, with, well, with him it's true, and you can add the six-tool of just being a cerebral assassin, as they would say, in reference to Triple H, the game. I mean, this guy is special, and if there's anybody who's worth the money – Hell, you could argue almost that he's getting underpaid still with the production he has. You look at his war. You look at – you could go as deep 
analytic dive as you want to, and you still won't find a fault with Mike Trout. He is that guy. After him, I would say Mookie Betts is on his way up. I mean, there's a lot of very talented players in the game. I think the game of baseball on the field is in a good place. I just think MLB in general has to do a better job of marketing it and making it cool. Um, you know, obviously I was in Atlanta for three years, had the kid Ronald Acuna, who I think is going to be a special player. So, well, there's talent all up and down these baseball rosters. Yeah, I have a question. So, last year, kind of got laughed at with the whole Mets thing. How do you see the Mets this year? I mean, hey, look, man, they have improved. They got a guy, Robinson Cano, who is solid. They just locked down both their top pitchers and DeGrom and Syndergaard. I mean, the Mets are improved. The National League East is a tough division, as I mentioned. The Braves are on the opinion. You see what the Phillies did, adding Harper. Now you take a little bit of the pressure off Reese Hoskins. I mean, that is a good ball club. I think the Braves are still in that mix. Really, other than the Marlins, everybody in the in the NL East should feel like they have a chance to compete, and that includes your New York Mets. I mean, seriously, I mean. And, again, we'll see how they hold up. There's some guys who've had some health issues, but they are a solid, solid ball club when they're healthy. They have a chance to be very good this year. Cool. And my other question is, how do you feel about Pete Alonzo? Well, we'll see. I mean, there's still a lot to be determined, but the, the, the guy has some talent. The question is, will it carry over throughout a full season? So I'll ask you a couple of questions about just the American League and National League in general. Uh, can anyone knock off the Red Sox first off in the American League? Who would you say would be their chief contenders to keep them from repeating as the uh, pennant winners in the American League? I mean, you go right into the division, the New York Yankees. I mean, they're, they're there. Um, you look at that team with Stanton and this, that. I mean, you go on down the list. They got masters. And then that's before you get to a guy like Luke Voigt who's there. Greg Bird is the backup first base. I mean, that lineup has a lot of versatility. They're good defensively. They have some good pitching. The Yankees are right there. The Houston Astros, who I just got finished watching. I mean, they're just two years ago away from winning the World Series. They went deep in the playoffs. I think the Indians may fall off a little bit, particularly if you don't get Frankie Lindor back. That's a bit of a concern. So I would definitely start with the Yankees and the Astros. I think they have a good chance to be very good throughout the season and make it tough on the Red Sox. I mean, but American League has a lot of good teams. I know it's, you know, we're only like four games, three games into the year, but who would you say would be your choice for American League MVP? Oh, jeez, man. That's a tough question, dude. Uh, it's very, I mean, Talk about small sample size, bro. Um, I guess if I were to say, I mean, why not Mike Trout, right? Um, that's where I would go right now. But we have so much time and so many twists. Don't forget about Mookie Bass. Don't forget about J.D. Martinez. I mean, don't forget about Stanton. I mean, there's a lot of talent out there. Very hard to answer that question. And I'm assuming you asked about the National League. It'll probably be in that same vein. I mean, who knows? Maybe Acuna's ready this year. And my final question about the National League, can anyone compete with the Dodgers, or are we just playing this out to see them, you know, try one more stab at winning a World Series? Well, I mean, let's see who comes out of the Central, right? I mean, there, there are some good teams there, and I mentioned the National League East. I, I would not just write the Dodgers into the World Series again quite yet. 
they are still a very talented squad, but you got to wonder what Clayton Kershaw is going to be like when he is back. That is a big concern about them. I mean, and look, Walker Bueller had a great second half of the season last year. He was great in the playoffs, but he's still a young man. Let's see if he can do it for a full season. All right. And uh, my final question would be, or uh, just give us some rookies or some young players that you think that are you know, going to be exciting to watch or take a step up who were rookies last year. Ooh, see, that's a tough, interesting question. Um, he mentioned Peter Alonzo. That, that's a kid, you know, he's, he's a kid, get on the way. Um, I really like where Ozzy Albies finished out the spring. I could see him doing well and having a really good second year. There's a lot of talent out there, man. All right. So, Nabias, thank you for dropping by, giving us a, you know, quick preview of the baseball season upcoming we'll definitely be checking in to with you again probably around memorial day the quarter polls of the season once we get some hey, more man. games going on and let's do it one and a half some more time with you guys man really man i love both you brothers and miss working with you guys all right man so likewise drive safely man uh, give the people some uh, information where they can catch you now where you can catch your writings and uh, you know follow you on twitter and those things all right so twitter it is at in 19 it's at n-w-i-l-b-o-r-n one nine. You can read my stuff at the postgazette.com as well as listen to the Locked On Pirates podcast. All right. So please check out Nabias. Uh, like I said before, know the score alum. Always good to link up with him and talk to him. And we'll definitely be hitting you up when, you, when we got some more time to chop it up with you. And we can really get in depth on some players and get into some in depth baseball conversations. So thank you for joining us, Nabias. And uh, get back to Pittsburgh safely, man. All right, man. Be good, bro. All right, bud. All right, Dwayne, let me introduce you formally now to the people. Welcome to this week's edition of Know the Score, man. Glad to have you. Glad to talk to you. Yeah, sorry about the lateness. I was talking basketball with my mama. Hi, mama. Well, discontinue the conversation with me because that's where we're going next. NCAA tournament. We've reached the penultimate now as the final four has been set. Just the final team finally got in. So we'll start with Virginia. They outlasted Purdue in overtime to make it to their first Final Four since 1984. Uh, Just a crazy, insane game. The basketball gods definitely looking out for Virginia. Uh, A great effort from Carson Edwards and Purdue. Uh, They were next to Auburn, the real, and Texas Tech, the three real kind of underdog stories of the tournament as it played out. And... uh, Virginia fulfilled about a six-year, you know, run in the making. They started with the Joe Harris teams, and now they finally made it to the Final Four. They had that awful detour last year as the first team to be a number one seed to get knocked off by 16. But they finally made it to their Final Four this year. Tony Bennett was just so elated cutting down those nets. And uh, talk about Virginia. They, I guess as we look at the Final Four, the way it shapes up, they'll probably be the favorite if we had to reseed it once we get there. And just talk about, you know, them finally making it to the Final Four and exercising those demons from last year. Yes, and it's crazy because they were not that far away from almost going through the same thing yet again with the Gardner-Webb game until they finally pulled it together. And I think once they got into that Gardner-Webb game, kind of just saw them winning that Gardner-Webb game, getting those demons from last year, especially exercise. This was a 
instant classic. This was one of the best games against Purdue that I've seen in a long time. Well, if you consider the Kansas Duke game, Elite Eight from last year, that was another good one. But this game was insane because they were literally moments away from losing that game. And then, and then uh, you know, they got the perfect tip, the pass, the quick shot to force overtime. And then, you know, it was, and they, you know, finally had enough to get by in overtime. But, you know, I think what, the only thing that will concern me about Virginia going forward, especially when they play, their opponent that we'll talk about in just a moment. I'll go. I'll go into that once we preview the Final Four. But you know, you gave up forty-five points to Carson Edwards, who was unconscious in this game, and this was definitely you know to overcome that kind of performance and overcome a very very good Purdue team that was definitely worthy of being in that same position, well-deserved, well-played, Tony Bennett. I felt the relief coming off, you know. I I didn't think, you know, even if they lost the Gardner Webb, that, you know, he would or he should lose his job or anything. But I did kind of pose the question on my Twitter page. And, you know, a few people said he should and, you know, but I didn't see that. You know, he's got a great program. He's got a great, he's got a great team. The you know, sometimes you know, the clock gets turned back. You go through a time warp with that style of play. But give these players credit. You know, they adapt, and I think that was one of the things that Tony Bennett didn't have in his first few years at Virginia. He didn't have players that would adapt to different styles of play. You know, if the pace wasn't at Virginia's pace, they get blown out the water. He has had over the last several years during this uh, run where Virginia has vaulted into the current elite of the NCAA basketball. They have been able to adapt to different styles of play and be able to survive in advance, which is the name of the game. We'll shift over to Texas Tech. With their defense and their three-point shooting, they're advancing to their first ever Final Four in school history as they knocked off the number one seed in the uh, out west in Gonzaga. So, Coach Beard and the Red Raiders, they won the Big 12. They knocked Kansas off from, you know, repeating as champions. A lot of people didn't think that they were, you know, a uh, a three seed. A lot of people thought that they were kind of underseeding, and they proved their worth because they're going to the Final Four. And unlike the other Big Twelve co-champion who was fraudulent, yeah, they may not have had their best player, but I call them frauds anyway. In Kansas State, this was—if anybody, I'll say this—I'm a definite fan. I was a fan of Chris Beard and his coaching from Arkansas Little Rock when he was at Little Rock. And so this, and when Texas Tech got to the Elite Eight a year ago, I kind of said to myself, you know, they keep this group together. They're going to be not just a threat 
in the conference, but a threat on the national stage. And here they are. These kids play defense. Top, they're like one of the top three defenses in the country, like second in opponent field goal percentage. They're very, very stingy. And when they they also can run, they can shoot the ball, and they're very, very quick. And that's what you need at this time of year. You need you need the shooting, you need the quickness, you need the defense, and Texas Tech has all these checked off. And this is definitely a a huge change for this program because you know they've been all they've been more known for their football teams over time, but now this is becoming a very good basketball school, and I think that they have a good chance to, you know, win. They have a chance to win. They have a good chance to win it, but they're going to have to face some stiff competition and, you know, get their best shot in. And we'll see what happens. Auburn, they run through the Blue Bloods, defeating Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky in overtime to advance to the school's first ever Final Four. So this is a redemption story for Bruce Pearl. You know, he was caught up in a lot of things in Tennessee, got ran out of there, you know, do what all coaches do when they get ran out of places under some bad circumstances, went to TV, rehabilitated himself, and now he's got Auburn in the Final Four. And also, Auburn was one of the schools that was in the center of the Nike uh, Adidas uh, investigation, too. So, you know, I don't know how much run that's going to get coming up in this week leading up into the Final Four. But there's a lot of things going on with Auburn, you know, not, to, you know, including, you know, the feel good story. And they lost their best player in their destruction in North Carolina. He blew out his knee, unfortunately, in the closing minutes of that game. So. A lot going on with Auburn, but congratulations to them because uh, they beat, you know, the biggest of the, the biggest top names. Three winningest programs of all time. <laughs> right, to advance to their first ever Final Four. So your thoughts on Auburn and uh, and what they've done and kind of the things surrounding them? Well, I'll start with my thoughts from the Kansas game. I kind of knew Kansas really didn't stand a chance. They had four freshmen. Uh, four freshmen starting, and they look like deer caught in headlights. And Auburn really shot the lights out in that game. And then when I saw the Carolina game, I saw how they they from that Kansas game. I learned quickly. I'm like, if anybody can match Carolina's athleticism, it was Auburn. And they definitely did that in that game. I'll be honest, I did not watch any of the Kentucky game. I got off work. I ended up taking a nap. So I didn't see much of that game. I did see the final score going to overtime. Uh, Did it go to overtime? Yes, sir. Yeah. So just by, and I think that, you know, the whole familiarity of, you know, playing Kentucky kind of came back into play. And, this team matches Bruce Pearl's energy. Bruce Pearl's always been energetic. Bruce Pearl's always been that master motivator. And it's definitely one of those things where 
you know, the players, they match that enthusiasm, man. He's really injected a winner in this in this program that's really been dormant for quite some time. I mean, last time they were this far in the tournament was 1986, and now they're in their first ever Final Four. And, you know, like, like we just said, to beat the three winningest programs of all time in Kansas, Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, Kentucky, you deserve to be there. And so... Do I think they have a good chance to win it all? They do, but my concern with Auburn is they're very dependent on that three-point shot and, you know, see their feast or famine with that three. And and so if they end up facing a team that can defend the three and, you know, how can they use the athleticism to – to uh, make up for that. That was the tell of the game against Kentucky. Early on, they weren't making their threes, so they had to rely more on their driving and their defense. They created a lot of live ball turnovers, got some run outs. And then in the second half, uh, the threes started falling a little bit more, and uh, they held on. Kentucky had a nice couple of chances at the end of the game, got some good looks at the basket, but couldn't convert. Auburn made the rebounds, took the game into overtime, and then they took over in overtime. So congratulations to Auburn. And our final team, Tom Izzo in Michigan State. They knock off the favorites, the Duke Blue Devils, to advance to the school's 10th Final Four. Izzo, 2-11, all-time against Coach K. But, man, what a sweet one this was for Tom Izzo. He called the timeout with about 25 seconds left, called up a play, got him a wide open three, going, knocked it down, and Michigan, and Michigan State did the best thing you can do at the end of the game. If you're playing Duke this year, foul R.J. Barrett. He missed, uh, made one, missed one. Duke was down by two at the time. Yeah. And so uh, they were still down by one. Michigan State in, in, inbounds the ball twice, run the time off the clock, and they're going to the Final Four. Yes, and this was – this game I did end up watching, and this definitely was a good game. This was, you know, for all the – for all the um, heavy favorite, you know, Duke was the favorites. I think and this is what I was actually – Talking to my parents about, I think UCF gave everybody the blueprint to beat Duke. And then it was applied in that Virginia Tech game. But Duke was able to survive. And then, you know, they almost survived again against Michigan State. But, you know, you foul, foul RJ Barrett, you foul, you get the get into the line. I mean, he was at 66% all season long. He, was, he missed one earlier, and then you got a pressure situation. And, you know, they cracked under the pressure. And and I think, you know, once at the end of the day, Duke was, you know, they're a great team, but at the end, at the end of it all, you know, this is why – we play March, and this is also why 
March is also been known as the month of Izzo. So shout out to Michigan State. They got a great win. This was huge. And that experience, you know, paid off at the end of at the end of the day. So it's the old tale that's always been um, around college basketball. It got, got it got kind of thrown off with Kentucky and Kyle Perry, but you need some type of experience to make a run to the Final Four. And you do. And Duke, the past few years, they just don't have any experience. You know, they don't have any people who've played in any high-pressure college situation basketball games. And, you know, the farther you go in this tournament, the more pressure situations you get put in. And when you don't have juniors and seniors, or in their case, even sophomores that are prominent players that have been through that before, you know, unless they blow teams out or get some good bounces, most of the time freshman teams, you know, don't really go as far as they're expected to when it comes to the tournament. Right. And and like you said, that experience, that experience factor comes into play because look at, look at what happened with them last year. They had an experienced Kansas team that they lost to. And then this time around, they faced an experienced Michigan State team. And then look at all the four teams in the Final Four. They all got some kind of experience, all four of them, so... So we'll talk about the matchups as Texas Tech will be taking on Michigan State. First team to 55 wins that one. And then Auburn, as they will be going up against Virginia. So that will definitely be a contrast in styles as Auburn wants to go 102 miles an hour. And, of course, Virginia wants to go to speed limit at 55. So we'll start off with with Texas Tech and Michigan State. How do you see that playing out, and who do you see coming out victorious? Oh, boy. Yeah, so I see this coming out as, yeah, first team. I can see that first team, the 55 wins. Uh, Texas Texas Tech is more of an athletic athletic team, but, you know, they're going to, rely on that stingy defense and I said that and I told my dad this when dad and I were talking about this and I said uh, beware of Texas Tech in that Gonzaga game he didn't believe me so because um, you know Gonzaga was a top three offense but I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Michigan State I think they just have a little bit more experience I think I think um, as great as a job Chris Beard is done with this team. I think Michigan State has the more experience in terms of coaching. Izzo's been there. Um, the team has more has more. Um, it just looks like they have more going for them to me than than the Red Raiders do. But it would not surprise. I wouldn't be surprised though if. Texas Tech won, but I'm going to go with Michigan State on this. That's going to be my pick for this. All right, and then we'll shift over to Auburn and Virginia. Virginia has done a great job in the last 45 years of slowing these athletic running gun teams down to their pace, suffocating them on defense, making it hard for them 
to do anything that they want to do, keeping them well below their season average in scoring points. Does that same thing play out again against Auburn and Virginia make it to the championship game? I think it I think it does. I think they have more experience. I think that I'm not even gonna go with the experience chat. I'm gonna go with more of the the pace. I'm gonna go with the pace. And I think they they'll be able to slow Auburn down. Uh because they do have the athletes to get back on defense, and and then once they get back on defense, it's kind of like it's kind of like that grinded out. So we'll have to see how Auburn does adjust to how Auburn does adjust to Virginia style. But I think the Cavalier, Cavaliers win it. Uh, but if if Auburn does go 102 miles per hour. I think Virginia can adapt, but it's going to be it's, it's they're going to be uncomfortable doing so, which will lead to Auburn winning the game if they go that route. But I think Virginia will. I think Virginia will win that game. So that brings us to Championship Monday. In your estimation, it's going to be Michigan State versus Virginia. So who's going to be holding the trophy while they play one shining moment? I wanna say I'm gonna say the redemption story completes in Minneapolis Monday night and Tony Bennett will be raising that national championship trophy, so I'm going with Virginia. All right, ACC over Big Ten in Dwayne's estimation. Uh before we shift over to our next subject, which will be the NBA before we wrap up. What'd you feel about this year's tournament? Didn't have the normal, you know, buzz and excitement I felt because there wasn't really like a true Cinderella run. I guess Oregon would be the closest thing. They were a 12th seed. Uh, and then yeah. they had a, a chance there against Virginia, but Virginia made the winning plays in the last two minutes to close them out. So your overall impressions uh, up to the final four of this year's NCAA tournament? Uh, my estimation, I would say this was not – a glamorous Final Four, but there were a lot of very, very close games. And I think that is that is what makes the difference. And that makes the difference in this uh, kind of environment. And so there are a lot of close games. Uh, the higher seeds won most of those close games, but it was very entertaining, you know. I was able to, you know, flip back and forth between the four networks that first weekend. You know, a lot of teams, a lot of close games. And I think even as the games got, you know, the higher the stakes, the the more intense the games were and the competition was definitely there. I mean, we saw... Iowa come back from 18 now, forced overtime against Tennessee. We saw Tennessee come back from double digits to forced overtime against Purdue. We saw Purdue go to another overtime game against against Virginia. Uh, we saw the the UCF game was full of drama. The the uh, Virginia Tech game was full of drama with with uh, Duke as well. And so I think from a dramatic standpoint, a close game standpoint, that's what made the tournament 
pretty pretty decent this year. And then I would also say that you know everybody, a lot of people want to see the see if the Titans of the tournament, the Duke Blue Devils, would uh, go down, and they ended up going down. And so I would say by that estimation, it was a pretty good tournament. It wasn't you know like from the upset standpoint, not as many. I mean, we saw you see Irvine probably the lowest seed that remained to go to the second round when they beat Kansas State. Yes, Kansas State didn't have Dean Wade, but, you know, you play with who you have. That's like, that would be like, uh, you know, saying Kansas didn't have their top three players from this season, but they ended up knocked out in the second round. So definitely a fun tournament. Um, You know, can't wait for, you know, college basketball next year and see what happens next. All right, this is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by the Libra icon, Dwayne. So we're going to change over to the NBA for our final topic. Really, it's all about the MVP race and who's going to end up in the bottom end of the Eastern Conference playoffs and who's going to get the number one seed out west. So as we look at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, Miami, they have a half a game lead over Orlando, who's actually played some really good ball in the month of March. And they have a game and a half lead technically over Charlotte. They've played a couple more games than Charlotte has. So Charlotte has a couple more games to catch up with them in the uh, loss column. In your estimation, can Miami hold on and have D. Wade at least make one last playoff appearance in his final year in the NBA? Ah, that's a tough one. I must say, I must say, they're motivated by. I think that's a good motivation to have Dwayne Wade have one last shot at at the playoffs. But the way the Orlando Magic have been playing. They, I would go with them, and it's gonna be tough for the Charlotte Hornets because they got they got Golden State tonight, and I don't know, uh, I don't know what Warriors team we're gonna get if we're gonna get the Warriors team that is just pissed off and goes monsters on everybody from that uh, overtime game against the Timberwolves, or. Or if we're gonna get the, or if we're gonna get the, uh, you know, Warriors team that's just like doesn't care and just wants to wait for the playoffs. We don't know what team is we're gonna get. Um, it, it's gonna be tough for the Hornets from this point because they got the Warriors and then their final six games. They closed out the season against Orlando at home. They, they're at Utah. They're at New Orleans. They got Toronto at the Pistons, at the Cavs, and then they host Orlando. And then this thing between these three these three teams, the Southeast Division titles online, even though they're fighting for an A seed, you know, because remember division winners don't get that 
luxury of a three seed anymore. So uh, the Magic's final, and I'm just looking at the schedule. The Magic's final five have Tor- they're at Toronto. They got the Knicks, the Hawks at Boston, at Charlotte, and I could see them winning maybe three, two or three of those games. Uh, and then finally, the Miami. Miami, they have six games left as well there. They got a home-and-home home with the Celtics at Minnesota, at Toronto, the Sixers, and and they got the Nets. So I would say from those – looking at those three teams and those three schedules, they have – the advantage goes to Charlotte. It just depends on – how Charlotte wants to do, you know, schedule-wise, but the Heat have Dwayne Wade as motivation, and the Orlando Magic trying to just make something happen. I think they can; they're capable of doing that. We just have to see. Now, what do you think about over in the Western Conference at the top? We've got the Nuggets and the Warriors in a dead heat for the number one seed. Houston's lurking in the shadows. They're three games back. Got Portland three and a half games back. They got an outside chance at it, even though they suffered a, a horrific blow uh, to their team and their chances with Nurchik's going down with that compound fracture of his leg. So out west, who who gets the right to play Oklahoma City? I want to say... I want to say... I'm going to say Denver because the Warriors are not worried about seeding. They're more worried about health, to be honest. So, yes, they can. It would surprise me if Denver blows this opportunity and gets a number two seed. You know, because you you want the crowd. You don't want to be an Oracle for a possible game seven. That's just not what you want. Um, so if I'm Denver, I'm looking at this like, okay, we need to crack down, get these, get these wins in so we can be the top seed in the West. And, but I think also, you know, if you get the Warriors, get the Thunder, then, you know, that's going to be... I see that being a breeze, honestly. I think Denver and Oklahoma City kind of have more, more of an interesting matchup. But we just have to see. I, I think Denver gets the, the top seed, and then, but, but um, what they do with it is gonna be a whole other ball game. And. Finally, the MVP race. It's between James Harden and Giannis. In your estimation, Dwayne, if you had a vote, who would you vote for for this year's NBA MVP? I'd go with James Harden. And what James Harden has done all season has been amazing. And, you know, earlier in the season, I was going to – Giannis was my pick earlier in the season, 
But what James Harden has done over these last several weeks and months has really just changed my mind. Uh, he won me over this, this year. I mean, he was a clear MVP last year, but, you know, he had stiff competition, but, you know, he's put this team on. He's put this team on his bad face. I don't know where it's would be. I mean, yeah, they've got Chris Paul, but I don't know what it would be without James Harden. So I'm going to definitely go with uh, James Harden. And that's not a knock on Giannis whatsoever, but I just think that Harden has been the better player lately. All right. So we're coming into our last eight games of the season, headed into the NBA playoffs. So, the real season will be cranking up here shortly. Definitely cannot wait to see how the matchups shape up for the playoffs, and we'll be covering them right here on Know the Score. So, Dwayne, at this point, man, give the people your shout-outs and thank yous. Uh, Shout-out to the CSPN, the, all the podcasters, all the listeners. Thank you. Uh, Shout-out to... The KTS alums out there. Shout out to my family. And the final thought uh, for me, I'm going to uh, take it to the ice, and we're gonna, you know, talk a little bit about the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs coming into play. Uh, end of the season is very very soon. Um, you know, like three, four games left in the season. Uh, looks like the Calgary Flames will win the Pacific Division and have the top seed in the Western Conference. Uh, the Central Division up for grab between the uh, Winnipeg Jets, National Predators, and the St. Louis Blues. Winnipeg has the wins tiebreaker. Uh, the wild card in that Western Conference uh, Dallas and Colorado. Dallas is more on their way in. The Avalanche, Coyotes, and Wild are all battling for that that wild card position. Uh, Tampa Bay, Lightning, they won the President's Trophy. Uh, Washington, they lead the Metropolitan. Carolina Hurricanes, they're battling for that wild card with the Blue Jackets and the Canadians. Uh, the Islanders are in, the Penguins, Maple Leafs are close to being in as well. It's going to be tough. We need all these wins. Uh, we just dropped one to the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, us being the Carolina Hurricanes. It's going to be tough. We had a back-to-back against Washington last week, came out on the wrong end of both of those. That really was a major blow. Let Columbus and uh, Montreal catch up. So the cushion is, is getting thin and they're going to have to close out strong this week to get into yeah. the playoffs. Yeah, hopefully they do. I, I want to see hockey in the springtime once again. It's been a long time. Well, Dwayne, I want to thank you for joining me this week on Know the Score. I'd also like to give a big shout-out to Nabias for making a few minutes for us this week as he gave us a little bit of a baseball preview. Uh, he was returning uh, to uh, Pittsburgh from Cincinnati as he was covering the game out there, so Thank you, Tobias, for jumping on really quick, giving us a little bit of baseball talk on this week's episode. I'd like to give a shout out to all the listeners, to everybody that listens on the CSPN, to all the different podcasts, 
Please thank you for your support. Please support our sponsors. Go support Blue Apron. If you don't want to cook and you're thinking about dieting, Blue Apron is perfect. Head over to CSPN. Click on the Keep Our Podcast Free tab at the top of the page. Sign up for Blue Apron. You'll get $30 off your first purchase. And they will send all the ingredients and everything you need for fresh, cooked, healthy meals right to your door. So please sign up for Blue Apron. Get $30 off your first purchase and also help keep Know the Score and all the podcasts free on CSPN. And on that note, for the Libra icon, Dwayne, I'm Don DeLorente. And now you know the score. (laughs) 